Digital Marketing Radio, episode 129. Anti-Fragile Marketing, how to grow your business in uncertainty. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Today's episode is brought to you by AWeber. Build your email list, engage your subscribers, do email the right way. I've arranged a special deal for all Digital Marketing Radio listeners, and that's a 60-day free trial with the email marketing software provider I use, AWeber. Lock in your 60-day free trial, Plus, view a video that I've recorded on the three reasons why I use their service at aweber.com slash DMR. Just go to aweber.com slash DMR to get started today. The Big Interview with David Bain. I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, weekly interviews with online marketing gurus. Catch up with all the previous episodes at digitalmarketingradio.com. I'm joined today by a man who markets a marketing agency. He's the Senior Director of Online Marketing for Stone Temple Temple Consulting, a digital marketing agency serving major brands. Welcome to DMR, Mark Trappigan. David, thank you so much. Uh, So good to be with you. And uh, thank you for pointing out that I have uh, the most meta job in the marketing industry. (laughs) I I loved it. Yeah. Meta's good. We started off with um, meta keywords, moved on to meta description, and now we're just on meta. So there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you can find Mark, as I mentioned, over at stonetemple.com. But Mark, what exactly is anti-fragile marketing? Well, it's a concept that I've been thinking a lot about recently and are going to be producing a lot of content myself on coming up. Uh, It's not original to me, but it comes out of a book that I read recently that kind of rocked my world in a number of ways. It's a book that's been out uh, since 2012, I think, believe in 2012. It was a New York Times bestseller uh, titled Anti-Fragile by an author named uh, Nicholas Nahib Talib. Uh, Taleb. I don't know how to pronounce that uh, exactly. I haven't heard it said. But um, Taleb is famous for a couple of other books. Um, one of the, probably the most famous that people might know him from is a book called The Black Swan. Uh, and The Black Swan is his concept of basically uh, that thing which we never expect to happen will probably happen eventually. Uh, the certainty of uncertainty, uh, the, the, um, the inevitability of chaos in anything, no matter how well laid our plans might be. And so uh, the book Anti-Fragile takes that to the next level or to a broader level and, and maybe to a more positive attempt at a more positive take on that to say, if the worst thing that could possibly happen inevitably sooner or later, given enough time, will happen, how do we build our lives? How do we build economic structures? How do we build families? How do we build societies? And you can apply it everywhere. I'm applying it to marketing. How do we build marketing plans for our businesses that uh, that are anti-fragile? And uh, uh, in a moment, I can describe what what's meant by that concept of anti-fragile. Sure. Yeah. Um, what you're saying there just reminded me of um, um, an old book um, called "Of Mice and Men," um, John Steinbeck. And um, the the quote, the the title of "Mice and Men" actually comes from uh, Robert Burns poem, um, Scotland's Bard, Scotland's version of uh, Shakespeare, uh, uh, the best laid schemes of mice and men gang after glee, and uh, it goes on about that. But the, the, the quotes about um, you know how things often go wrong and um, maybe how you can prepare for things going on, uh, going wrong as well. So maybe not um, a completely original concept, but um, you can take concepts that aren't c- completely new, but put a little spin on them and um, 
just get people thinking about something uh, a little bit different than than modern digital marketing and or something that a, a lot of people I guess um try and make plans too easily and assume that things are are going to go easily or go well and um don't um take the downside into consideration so i mean and we assume I was going to say, we assume on top of that, that we have command of the data, that the data we're looking at is the right data, uh, that it's the necessary data, that we're not missing anything in the picture, uh, and that we can analyze it correctly. We make a lot of those assumptions and we, we leap to conclusions based on them that aren't always, uh, aren't always justified. Um, but a great tangible example that maybe will help your listeners to get this concept of antifragile that uh, Taleb gives in the book is the uh, Fukushima nuclear power plant in Japan. Uh, most of your listeners will probably remember that name from the, um, the tremendous disaster, the, uh, the uh, earthquake and resulting tidal wave that hit Japan a couple of years ago and uh, caused the uh, destruction and meltdown of the Fukushima nuclear power plant, rendering a large area around it virtually uninhabitable for perhaps for many decades or even hundreds of years to come. Uh, the interesting thing that Taleb points out is that the Fukushima power plant was state-of-the-art, um, and meaning that in the nuclear industry, it was built to withstand the worst earthquake that Japan had ever experienced. And as he points out, the problem with that kind of thinking is that the worst thing that's ever happened, and you, and you take us in any situation, is not necessarily the worst thing that could happen. And so the worst earthquake that ever hit Japan and resulting tidal wave was not any one that was known in history, but it was the one that hit that destroyed the Fukushima nuclear power plant. So in an anti-fragile concept, you are not you're building things First of all, not for um, that which has happened in the past, just, but that which might happen. And obviously, there's there's realm probabilities apply here. I mean, it's not an anything is possible world. You know, I don't build my house based on the fact that an asteroid could fall on it. Um, but I, you know, looking at at probabilities, I say, uh, you know, I need to build things that will withstand. And then, then quickly, just. Uh, let me give the, the concept of anti-fragility and why, why Tillab uses that word. Um, he looks at the word fragile. And we understand what a fragile thing is. A fragile thing is something that will break under a certain amount of stress. And usually we term something fragile that you know doesn't take a whole lot of stress and that thing is going to crack. It's going to break. It's going to fall down. Sure. Um, we often, he asks the question, what is the opposite of fragile? And most of us would respond of uh, strong, robust words like that, right? And he says, but those aren't exactly the opposite of fragile. Um, he places them at, at one corner of a triangle. So you have fragile, then you have robust. Things that are robust will stand up to a lot of stress, but they will remain the same. Uh, they may survive you know, up to a certain level of stress, much more than something that's fragile. They'll still be there, but all they've done is survive. They're, they haven't changed. An anti-fragile thing or system is something that when stress comes and you apply more and more stress, always up to a up to a certain point, not only does it survive, but that thing actually grows. It becomes better. It improves as a result of the stress. So I hope that's helpful toward the basic concept of what we're, we're talking about here. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, essentially what you're saying is that um, strong may be strong in certain areas, but anti-fragile 
um, protects you um, ag- against unexpected things. So it, it strengthens all areas. So just just strong, maybe maybe focusing on the wrong areas, possibly. Right. It's basically instead of you know trying to just build a, a bigger wall against the chaos, against the disorder, against the inevitable. Um, bad things that will happen, downturns and things like that. It's instead building uh, a kind of resiliency that uh, is going to uh, be able to evolve and thrive in the midst of that. If, if you understand, without getting too scientific or technical here, if you understand evolution, how the theory of evolution works, um, evolution at a very simple level works on the basis of stressors. Uh, there has to. There are things in the environment that challenge living things, and those challenges mean that some things will survive and some things will not. Um, but with evolution, uh, what, what can ha- can happen? It doesn't always happen. But what can happen is that something that develops a, a mutation that allows it to survive more favorably and passes it on has actually grown. It's changed because of the stress in the environment, and it passes on that characteristic so that future generations are more likely to. Uh, to survive and, and, and pass on. So it's, you know, talking about really setting up and we focusing back on marketing here, it's mm-hmm. setting up kind of marketing that, um, that is built to evolve. That's built to, uh, this is a bad way of saying it, maybe but roll with the punches in a way that we actually grow and get better at our marketing, even as um, marketing volatility happens. So are these concepts that everyone in a marketing department need to embrace or is it only for the leaders within an organization to really understand and implement within their businesses? Well, it may be that the leaders need to have a deeper understanding of it, but I think a a successful um, anti-fragile business or anti-fragile marketing agency uh, is going to have an anti-fragile culture. you're going to instill habits. You're going to instill ways of looking at the world that uh, that will tend to help build those those structures. So, you know, I see it as part of a culture. That's part of what I'm trying to develop for our own agency, for Stone Temple, for the businesses that we work with. Um, I'm now, you know, doing some deep thinking and, and research and thinking about how can we build uh, businesses, build cultures, and build uh, marketing plans that uh, that embrace. Uh, anti-fragility and that will thrive because the one thing that we know, anybody here that that's a marketer is responsible for marketing or responsible for growing a business. The one thing we know is that just when you think you've got it figured out, just when, you know, you know, just how Google works or, you know, <laughs> uh, your advertising market, or you've got a good plan that seems to be bringing in traffic, something changes, something goes down, something happens. Uh, that can be a competitor rising up. It can be Google changing their algorithm. It can be all sorts of factors out there that you uh, you can't plan for the factors themselves and you cannot predict them. But you can build structures that will be able to respond to them in ways that um, that will continue to uh, cause your business to grow and adapt and sur- not only survive, but be, but be better in the long run. So, I mean, you're talking about responding to uncertainty. Um is the the structure um, or the very nature of having a small business better equipped with um, dealing with these sort of issues and actually implementing them and more successfully adapting more quickly um, than larger businesses out there? Or is that not necessarily the case? Well, it can be. And this is one area, the concept of anti-fragility says that uh, there is no necessary advantage to being bigger, 
There's no necessary advantage to even being smarter as most people term that. Um, now, Taleb, anybody that's read the book knows that, that Taleb tends to be very um, uh, skeptical toward academics. Uh, and and uh, that would, in our world, that would be, you know, the experts, uh, those that have all the credentials. Uh, he perhaps is a little bit too skeptical toward them and, and a little bit too cynical at times even. But uh, his point is that, um, well, he brings up this thing. Let me, let me bring in this concept of what's called the, the green lumber fallacy. And the green lumber fallacy is based on a, on a story of um, supposedly this trader in the futures market started in, investing and in trading in what he heard when he heard about green lumber. And he thought that green lumber was actually lumber that was painted green. Uh, now, anybody in the lumber business uh, and a lot of the rest of us realize that when you talk about green lumber, what you're talking about simply is lumber that has not been dried. It's not been allowed to age and dry. It's, it's fresh, fresh mm. cut. Uh, so it has certain characteristics to it. Um, and the, um, the point of the story is that he was, he was very successful, even though he came up with these very advanced theories about why green colored lumber would do better in the marketplace. And of course his theories were completely fallacious. They had not, because he was not actually trading being a trader. He'd never even saw it, you know, a futures trader. They don't, deal with the actual commodity. They're just trading shares in it. So he'd never seen the actual lumber, never actually visited a lumber mill. He had no idea what he was talking about, but his, um, his practices as a doer were, um, were, uh, were successful, were accurate and were helpful. So even though he had the wrong academic ideas as it were, he was able to be anti-fragile. He was able to be resilient and grow in the marketplace. The point of that story is not to totally reject academia or theories or, you know, developing philosophies about things. It's to be a little more skeptical about them and to put a little more value And this. I think one of Taleb's main point in the doers, the practitioners, those that are down in the ditches, actually doing it and seeing what's happening and testing things and trying things out and seeing what works will have a lot better chance, he believes, of success in the long run than those who sit in an ivory tower and just make complex theories about what should uh, affect the marketplace. There's a lot to to think about with this concept here, but um, <laughs> I'd like to go deeper as well and certainly read the book now as well myself. Um, but um, it's all very well to make a business more able to adapt in disorder. Um, but um, Evan Doobie um, is actually asking a good question in the chat and he's saying, can a marketing program actually gain from disorder? What do you think of that one, Mark? Well, I, I think it can, and I, we need to be careful in defining that because when you say that, that you know, that sounds counterintuitive to most people, a, a marketing program or a program for anything gaining from disorder because we tend to think, especially in the West, we tend to think in terms of things are going to be better if we can just establish an order. We get procedures, we get plans, but I want to, anybody here who might be listening to this, if you've ever been involved in building an advanced marketing plan, you know, whether that's a one-year plan, a two-year plan, or God forbid, a five-year plan, <laughs> the one thing, if you've ever lived through the experience of that, the one thing you can be sure of is that when you get to wherever that is, the end of the one year, the two years, the five years, your plan will probably look nothing like when you started out. And that's not a rejection of planning. It's not saying you shouldn't try to plan, but it's saying hold your plans very loosely. Um, I always like to quote the uh, 
from the, the one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, uh, where where one of the uh, one of the pirates is asked about the pirate code, and, and somebody's disturbed because they seem to be doing something that violates the the sacred pirate code, and the the one pirate says says, "Well, the code are a little more uh, actually like." guidelines. <laughs> and I think we need to take our plans in that way. Uh, we hold them loosely, but it's the concept of uh, building an organization and building uh, marketing plans that anticipate that things will change and that things will go wrong and that watch for that and that you know are, are ahead of responding to that uh, and not being so rigidly married to the theory that you have or the plan that you have that you say, no, 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 you know, we got to forge ahead. This is the plan, or this is the this is the theory that we have. We're going to go ahead with that no matter what. But being flexible, look and say, well, you know what? That's not working right now. Why is that? What what should we try other than that? It's being responsive. Another way of saying it is the concept you often hear of failing fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of failing fast is to put you know, the the practitioner, the doer, rather than the theoretician, is willing to get out there in the marketplace and just try things and throw them up against the wall. And if it fails, it fails, and you don't moan and groan about it, and you don't have 75 meetings about it. You just say, okay, what did we learn from that, and what can we apply to that to the next thing that we that we try? So what if you start in a business as a marketing director, and you're perhaps in charge of a department that's um, is in a business that um, has been quite traditional in thinking and um, does its own thing and has done its own thing quite well for quite a few years. How do you encourage um, more open thinking, more um, <laughs> able to, to embrace these kind of concepts that you're talking about? Well, that's going to vary within the organization and what you think you can get away with. But <laughs> uh, but I'm a little bit uh, I have a little bit of a soft place in my heart for the uh, for the disruptor, uh, as much as that's an overused term. Uh, but the disruptor within an organization, and I think you you have to be smart about how you do that. But uh, I think my own story um, is uh, is is one of that. Is you know in an agency um, before this one, the one that I was in, um, that was you know was good was doing good things and having a certain amount of success but i saw areas in which i thought we're leaving things on the table uh, or we're not trying some things out that we should be trying and you know i'd bring those up in meetings and people would nod their head and then go on to the next agenda item so at some point i just decided to start doing some of those things uh you know the old saying of it's better to uh, Seek to forgiveness. ask forgiveness yeah. than permission. <laughs> uh, and again, you have to be wise in doing that. Um, you know, some people can do that and find themselves find themselves right out on the street very quickly. But you know, I did it in small but increasing ways, to the point where uh, where someday, at some point, something that I was doing was just a reality. It was just working, and it became and there was no big deal about it. There was nobody that came and said like, "Oh my gosh, you were right, Mark. We should have listened to you back then." It's kind of like you know, oh, we do this now, and look, this is happening. Great, keep doing that. That's fine. Keep building that. Uh, and I, I created things, um, you know, for myself as well as for the organization that benefited me later on. That you know increased. The organization's reputation, my reputation, led to some of the things that I'm doing today. So I think it's that you know that spirit of just being willing to pioneer some things, but doing it wisely, doing it. Uh, you know, you're not doing it to be in your face of anybody. You don't trumpet it, but you build something and say like, you know, hey, look, uh, we exper- I experimented with this, and by golly, it's it's doing something. It's working over here. You know, what do you want to do with that? Well, um, I'm sure I could t- continue 
talking uh, to you about this concept for at least another hour or so. If if you'd like to hear uh, more of Mark's opinions, of course, you can uh, you can listen to um, the first edition of businessbookofthemonth.com because uh, you were a special guest on that uh, podcast episode number one as well. Um, I'm, I'm t- very tempted to suggest this book as uh, the next business book of the month here, but um, that's um, that's going on onto a different topic there. So I'll tell you what, let, let's segue um, into the second section of our discussion. So that focuses more on your thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with software I couldn't live without. What software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Oh, well, I'm not a big uh, software guy, uh, but, you know, there are some things, uh, some tools that I've become very enamored with. Um, and uh, uh, one of those that I mention constantly these days that, I, that I'm just fascinated with is BuzzSumo. And a lot of people have mentioned that. Uh, if, if anybody's not familiar, BuzzSumo is a tool that allows you to see the social shares around any piece of content. And keeping in mind that social shares are not the whole ball of wax mm. uh, by any means for determining the value of a piece of content, they you know they do indicate something. And so you know that in combination. But I'm using now based on, uh, and I'll qualify that with. BuzzSumo itself just recently released a, a, a study a few weeks ago uh, that they did in conjunction with Moz. It was released on the Moz blog that uh, that I highly recommend. Uh, it was very fascinating. And it was about um, basically they discovered that uh, contrary to, again, this is the kind of, this is kind of an anti-fragile concept because it's, the end where, it's where theory doesn't prove out to be the actual fact. You know, most people have an assumption that things that get highly shared on social media also produce links. In other words, they get links mm. from other sites. You know, it seems to be like that would go together. What they actually showed is for the vast majority of content, that's not true. First of all, most content by far gets neither. It gets neither high shares nor links. But of the content that does get any of those, the vast majority of that by far gets one or the other. Gets a lot of social shares or gets a you know, good amount of links, which add to search engine value. Uh, SEO value, but very little content gets both. And the content that gets both tends to be, guess what? What many of us have talked about is the content that is the highest value content uh, tends to be generally longer form, uh, more insightful, better researched, more opinionated, uh, expressing things that are not uh, just the common uh, knowledge or common uh, thoughts about things. That kind of content can hit that sweet spot of getting both. So all that to say with the tool regard is that I'm doing that's causing me to do a lot more work to look at our own content and that of our clients and say, what is hitting that sweet spot? What is BuzzSumo telling me getting is getting, you know, high amount of shares, but it's also other tools I have tell me that it's getting good links from other places and, you know, seeing what can we do more of that? Because I think that is the sweet spot for content. But also I gleaned from what you said there is, um, perhaps I'm reading between the lines here, but um, what I reckon you also said was um, always keep a little bit of your gut instinct as well when deciding whether or not a piece of content is the right piece to be writing or um, deciding on how to market something. And you can never completely rely on just a tool just to give you all the indi- indicators. Is, is that a, a good thing to that you, you would agree with? Yeah, I think that's that's very good, and we do that all the time. Uh, you know, there's certain things that we produce as far as content pieces that are not just by a formula. 
Um, and you can get, you, I think you can do bad work by getting stuck into a formula of saying this, this worked. So we keep doing just more of that. Um, there are things that we produce just because our gut tells us that this is good for us. It's good for our reputation. It's good for what we want to be known for. Um, especially if it's something that's on our own website. Uh, sometimes we don't even care so much if it doesn't get a lot of traffic at first or social shares or links. It's more, it's on our site. And we know that one of the functions of the content on our site, for example, is that when people, because of our particular business, we have a long sales cycle. People spend a long time researching and thinking before they they buy our services. Uh, one of the things that they will typically do is at some point in that process, they'll visit our site and start poking around saying, you know, what are these guys about? What do they know? And some of those pieces are on there because they help at that point. They're not the big things that are out that everybody talks about, but they say like, oh, look at this. They're, you know, they have a lot of keen insights that I haven't seen anywhere else. It's, it's supportive in that way. Okay, well, I'm going to stick with software for just one more question mm-hmm. and ask a, an even slightly more challenging question, which is what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you intend to try mm-hmm. at some point in the near future? Uh, I, I want to get more into some of the competitive analysis um, software. I'm thinking things like SEM Rush, um, and this is competitive analysis for online sure. marketing, obviously, but uh, SEM Rush, um, uh, Similar Web. Uh, these are these are products. Similar Web, in particular, I know at Stone Temple, um, a lot of our consultants are using it very actively already. Uh, and I sat through a basic class in it. I want to start applying it and using it more because it, these are tools that give you some very keen insights into uh, what's working for your competition in particular, what's working for other sites that, uh, that you are competing with. So I want to I have a better understanding of that. Okay, great. Okay, well, I'll include links to all the software tools that you recommended there on uh, the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. But let's move on to... I wish I would have. So I'd like you to look back in the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Oh, wow. You come up with the best questions. <laughs> um, I wish I would have... I'm going to go back to reinforce something that I said earlier in the show. Sure. And I wish I would have been bolder to trust my instincts and experiment with things from the beginning. In the beginning, I think I was too enamored with the experts. With uh, you know, I think there's value there. You know, I don't I don't want to. Uh, I needed to learn, and I tried to seek out and learn from the best. But there was too much uh, fear of if I don't if I don't do something exactly like the top names say this is the way you do it, yeah. uh, that I will do it wrong. And so, yeah, that I would have been, um, I would tell my, go back and tell my younger self, uh, don't be afraid to experiment. Don't be afraid to trust your instincts. Don't be afraid to try something out. So do you think initially that you treated the online world too differently compared with the offline world? And in reality, you should have actually used more concepts from offline and just uh, combine that with your instinct, as you said. That is golden, yes, because it's something I talk about a lot. The more I'm in this game, the more I discover, the more I realize that at the heart and the core of it, everything that we do in online marketing, digital marketing, whatever you want to call it, ultimately the the things that really work have an analogy in the real world, uh, in the offline world. Um, Things like uh, building relationships, the value of relationships, 
you know, anybody who runs a corner store in a small town knows about that. You know, you've got to show up, you've got to be involved in the community. You've got to uh, get connected with people that other people care about. Um, you've got to not be talking about yourself all the time, but, uh, but helping people, you know, all these things that anybody running a small, a successful small corner business in a small town knows to do really have their analogies. Now we have to, we do them at a, maybe a bigger scale and a faster pace online, but it's really the same stuff. Mm. But sometimes if we try and increase the pace too much online, then we make things a little bit too artificial again and uh, maybe we end up shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's always possible. <laughs> and you've got to be, you know, you've got to be reflective. And I think that's another thing that I would say to anybody who is uh, you know, trying to grow in, uh, in this marketing game. It's a lot of the things, um, there's so many analogies, just life in general that, that really work. And I think one of those things is um, taking time to reflect uh, and I'm trying to do that more, especially in the position that I'm in today. Um, I'm actually scheduling in time when I'm not doing work, but I'm just thinking. Um, and I'm not even doing that time. That's not, that's not even, that's apart from my time of researching or reading, uh, studying things like that. Um, this is just, you know, maybe going over some notes that I have, some things I've been thinking about, like this anti-fragile concept that we we started with and going for a walk and thinking like, what does that mean? Uh, where would that apply? What should I be thinking about? And I'll find often that, you know, that's when the insights come that are unlooked for, um, that you don't, you don't, you can't get out of the, the marketing plan, but they, they come, they're like inspiration to an author, to a writer. Uh, and those can often be some of the best ideas. So, you know, just, there's, there's a very human side of this and you have to trust as you grow, as you gain confidence, you, you know, trust your instincts and allow time to think. The this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions, just two rows here. Try not to think about the answer too much, and okay. you're only allowed to use the word both on one occasion. Ready to go? Wow. <laughs> All right. Email or Twitter? Twitter. Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? Uh, affiliates, but not real strong on that one. Facebook or Google Plus? <laughs> Facebook these days. Online press releases or one-on-one -on -one relations? One-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Paid search or SEO? SEO still, but... <laughs> email, email contact form or telephone number? Email contact form. Website or app? Say it again, I'm sorry. Website or app? Still website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Well, for us, global. <laughs> well, Boy, that was painful. It, painful it was for a couple. It was for paid search or SEO and website oh, or app, wasn't it? Yeah. Because yeah, they're you know some of those are in transition, they're in flux. There's there's huge overlap, and it's it's hard. I resisted using the both. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you did, but, not uh, even in the last one. That, so, um, t tell me a little bit more about um, paid search or, or SEO, because you said still SEO, but um, you're on the cusp of going. Paid marketing is more effective. Well, one of the things that we're paying a lot of attention to 
is uh, what seems to, to us now to be the fact. And this is, again, you know, an attempt at being anti-fragile, an attempt at looking and saying, you know, what um, what might change in the future that we take for granted today? And the thing that we, in my business, that we tend to take for granted today is Google. You know, Google is so huge. Uh, it brings so much traffic, uh, or even organic search still is very effective. But it would be um, the height of fragility to mm. assume that that's always going to be around, that it's always going to be that way. And the uh, the fact of the matter is that it's not just apps. You know, people are talking a lot about apps now, but it's the uh, the Internet of Things. Uh, you know, my boss, Eric Enga, did a great presentation on this at PubCon last week. Um, when we talk about the Internet of Things, that all these devices that are connected to that um, we don't have a keyboard. You know, whether it's a watches, it'll be our refrigerators, our thermostats, our cars, things that we talk to, uh, that we're going to need instant responses, instant answers that aren't going to involve Google, that aren't going to involve what we think of traditionally as search. Now, I think search is going to be around for a long time to come, but it's going to be an ever, at some point, it's going to start to be a decreasing part of what we do. So things like um, paid uh, paid search, paid social um are things that we are beginning to explore more uh, for ourselves because uh, we're anticipating that future when it may be, it already is, you know, look at Facebook when we talk about it, you know, it's necessary to pay to play there if you want to get anywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that means that I'm looking forward to the answer to the next question, which is... The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you measure, what, what, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? I would spend that, I have an immediate answer to that. I would uh, would invest that as much as I could in uh, finding and attracting uh, new brilliant people to our organization. There is no single, no tool, no gimmick, no other thing which is more valuable, I think, to any business than having um, innovative, creative people uh, involved. So if there's any way that I can invest that $10,000 in bringing me more of those kind of people, that's where I would spend it. And are you talking about direct employees to work with you face to face or perhaps outsourcers or does it not really matter? Well, that would be the best. I mean, you're only going to get so far with $10,000 for mm. getting permanent yeah, employees. Yeah. <laughs> it's certainly it's certainly not going to do the do the payroll for them. Uh, maybe you can invest it in toward you know, researching and recruiting those kinds of people. Um, but maybe, uh, yes, you know, maybe more tangibly, if I actually had to spend $10,000, it would probably be in things that would build uh, partnerships out there. Because right now to our business, some of the most valuable things that we have are um, our partnerships with uh, parallel but non-competitive businesses, other people who are in our industry, but not direct competitors with whom we've built a relationship. Uh, we can exchange information and data. We can run projects together. We can do marketing campaigns together. That's that's brought us tremendous value. So that's, that's the direction I would invest. And do these partnerships um, end up building from relationships that have actually benefited you before any formal agreement has been in place? Or have you actually had to arrange some kind of formal agreement before you really benefited from that? Oh, most of them without exception benefited us from before there's any uh, formal agreement. And many, in fact, there is no formal agreement. They really are on the level of relationships or friendships. Now, a few have evolved into real partnerships, you know, actual uh, on paper contractual agreements or other types of, uh, of formal agreements to do things together. So that, you know, that has evolved out of some of those, but I don't expect that all of those will ever become that. 
Um, so yes, it's quite possible for a you know, relationship to be very valuable and very mutually beneficial uh, without there necessarily being a formal partnership. Wow. Okay. Well, I reckon it's time to distill all your great advice into one final takeaway. My number one takeaway. So you've offered a, a lot of great advice in our conversation. So thanks so much for that. But what's the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement within their businesses? Trust your experience, trust your instincts, and do it. Become a practitioner above a theoretician. Don't ignore theory, but most valuable is just go out and do it day after day and be learning from what you do. Fail fast. Wow. I don't know if that was one. Did I get that all as one thing? No, that's good. I'm sure I can get, I get a tweet out of that. So uh, that's that's um, that's always great. It's funny. I was talking to Anne Smarty last um, last night. I'm, I'm sure you know um, Anne. Oh, yeah. And, no, Anne well. So um, Anne was on episode 128. It's not published yet, but um, it will be was on by the time we have this episode out. And um, Anne's takeaway was just do it as well. So um, very mm, action orientated. And uh, she was saying, yeah, don't, I'm not surprised. Yeah. D- 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 don't worry about the fact that it's not perfect. Just get out there and start start implementing, and you you can perfect perfect things as you go along. Yeah, most of the most of the great people that I know in this industry, I think of as uh, as first and foremost doers. Now, many of them are great thinkers and theoreticians, and can write you know write at depth at the uh, their ideas or philosophies behind things. But they're first and foremost doers. They're out there rather than talking about something. They're trying it. They're experimenting. They're they're working at what they're doing and learning from that. Superb. Well, um, thank you, friend, for um, joining us. Um, if you like what you heard, um, send me a tweet. Leave me a, a review. Um, wherever you're listening to this, it would be great to, to hear from you. Just say hello somewhere. Um, but finally, I'm also hosting a, another live show every Friday called This Week in Organic. So head over to thisweekinorganic.com to find out more about that. It actually redirects to another Blab if you're watching this live on Blab. But anyway, I reckon um, that's all for now. So um, thanks so much for joining us. If you're here live, thanks so much for listening to it. If you're listening to the replay, adios. And um, thank you so much, Mark, for joining me. Um, You're really great. Thank you, David. I had a great time.